not just using a spreadsheet of data, but using systems and, and overlays and data visualizations and all, all of those tools can help us identify the trends and help us move towards achieving the KPIs and the accountability that we want to achieve. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connecting ALS. I am your host, Jeremy Holden. In 2012, a New York Times article welcomed us to the age of big data. What is big data, the Times asked. A meme and a marketing term for sure, but also shorthand for advancing trends in technology that open the door to a new approach to understanding the world and making decisions. There is a lot more data all the time, growing at 50% a year, or more than doubling every two years, estimates IDC, a technology research firm. It's not just more streams of data, but entirely new ones. For example, there are now countless digital sensors worldwide in industrial equipment, automobiles, electrical meters, and shipping crates. They can measure and communicate location, movement, vibration, temperature, humidity, even chemical changes in the air. End of that quote. Now that was 10 years ago. Now consider this. An estimated 2.5 million terabytes of information is produced by 7.2 million data centers around the world every day. So it could be said that the age of big data has gotten, well, bigger. Harnessing that data can enable an organizations to make better decisions more quickly, reduce costs and increase efficiency, and respond more quickly to the people they serve. Writing in Harvard Business Review back at the dawn of the age of big data, Andrew McAfee and Eric Brindelson observed, because of big data, managers can measure and hence know radically more about their businesses and directly translate that knowledge into improved decision-making and performance, end quote. So what does all of this mean for us? In a conversation on Connecting ALS earlier this year with Scott Kaufman, chairman of the ALS Association Board of Trustees, he spoke to the potential for big data to expedite the work to make ALS a livable disease while ultimately finding cures. And there are those among us that believe that the cure is here. It's on this planet with us, but probably an exercise in big data, machine learning, artificial intelligence. And the only way you're going to get there faster is if you pool all of the resources and all of the data and that you kind of divide and conquer. So how is the association harnessing the power and potential of big data to better serve the community and to speed up the process of empowering people to live better, longer lives, to bring new treatments to market, and to reduce the harms associated with ALS? For answers to that, I turned to Pam Knott, Vice President of Data and Technology at the ALS Association. Well, Pam, thank you so much for being with us this week on Connecting ALS. Of course, happy to be here. You and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago about this very topic, and um, you know, I mentioned it at the top, but Scott Kaufman, the chairman of the Board of Trustees for the ALS Association, talked earlier this year about how he was excited about the role that big data could play in moving us closer to making ALS livable, ultimately finding ways to treat and cure the disease. So let's start there. What role do you see big data playing in terms of making ALS a livable disease? Yeah, I, I think that data in general, and, and of course, big data, plays a very important role. It plays a, a big role and a broad role. Um, and I for, for that word livable, in my opinion, there are two different sides of that. First, you have the, the research, um, so actually prolonging life, 
finding cures and treatments, um, finding causes and hopefully preventions. And with that, a, a, an example would be the CDC registry. So we collect data from people living with ALS so that we can have more context around their lives to, to find trends, et cetera, patterns. But the other side of being livable is the quality of life, enhancing the quality of life, easing the burdens as much as possible. And that's really where my team is focused on, not necessarily the hard research, but the resources and the empowering tools that we can provide the community. So knowledge is power, right? Data gets us to that knowledge. And for the empowering tools, especially, that knowledge should be as targeted and specific as possible to the person and their family so that they can make the right decision for them at the right time. Also for resources and improving quality of life, we have our advocacy and public policy efforts. And those efforts require evidence to bring to the table on why a certain bill related to Medicare should be passed or why the FDA should approve a treatment quicker, things like that. So yeah, data has a really big role, but we sometimes go right to the hard research that it's, I think that there's a broad spectrum there and each side of that spectrum is just as important. Yeah, I think it's a good point to think about, yeah, we do often think about data, particularly in this world, uh, about driving research and having more data points to try and understand disease mechanisms and way to maybe slow progression and that sort of thing. But but I think you're talking about ways that data can really touch on the delivery of care and some of that work being done to, as you said, improve and enhance quality of life. So let's dig in. What does that look like? What are some kind of programs that are being driven by data? What are some like day-to-day ways or things on the horizon that are really bringing data to life? Yeah. So the first thing that popped into my head, I I just got off a call actually for the patient journey map tool. And and like you said, this isn't launched yet. It's it's somewhere on the horizon, Uh, but we are working collectively with our care services team, with our communications team, to build a tool, again, that translates data into knowledge and action items for a person living with ALS and their family, wherever they are along their journey, and in different ways and different levels. So when you're first diagnosed, it's probably a lot to take in. And maybe you don't want to read a a 10-page article at that moment. (laughs) Maybe you just want a really quick video Or maybe you just want to know, where can I find a group of people that I can talk to that's already gone through this that can support me? So that's one of the tools we're working on, that patient journey map tool. Again, technology, I sort of lump data and technology together because you have that information, but you also need a system or a process to help make it actionable. Sure. And so this tool will be available in different formats. And folks can, you know, access it when they want to. If it's midnight and they can't sleep, they can access it then, you know, those sorts of things. Also, making the information as accessible and inclusive as possible. Just thinking about learning styles. So perhaps I'm a visual learner, but maybe somebody else is an auditory learner. So using tools to help expand the accessibility and inclusion as well is really important. So, so that was just one tool, the patient journey map tool. 
circling back a little bit to the the research side of things, we are developing uh, a clinical trial match initiative. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we have an initiative that we are building out right now in our database. We use Salesforce, and this is for clinical trial match. So right now, it's a pretty big burden for people living with ALS to identify and understand what clinical trials are out there in the first place and which ones they might be eligible for. Because there's a certain set of criteria for particular trials. That could be age, gender, location, how far along the disease has progressed, things like that. And the tools available right now are, at least the feedback that I've gotten, are kind of daunting. There's a lot of filters to to apply. Maybe you don't know the timing of a certain trial, if it's closed already or not, all that stuff. So we are partnering with companies who have trials, who are releasing trials. They have a certain trial recruitment window. And so once we get the criteria, the eligible criteria from those partners, and we understand the window of time for which they, they want to recruit, we can use the data already in our database to target folks that have the right eligibility requirements. Let's say trial A is the, the company is recruiting the month of July. So in the month of July, we can build an automated email journey that grabs those folks with those particular data points and automatically send them an email. So they don't have to do anything. We are trying to take that burden off of them. They'll receive an email saying, hey, you might be eligible for this certain trial. If you're interested, click on this link to learn more and register. So that's one of the things that I'm really excited about, taking the burden away from the person and the family dealing with ALS. And also what that will do is get recruitment for trials completed quicker because that's really a bottleneck for trial recruitment is that, you know, the people living with ALS can't find the right trials and the trials can't find the right people. So hopefully we will be able to aid in that matchmaking process there. That's really exciting. I know we're going to be talking to Dr. Marichikovic in the coming weeks about other efforts that are underway to expand access to clinical trials and now knowing that, you know, reducing that burden. So someone's not just sitting there at their computer hitting refresh, waiting for that trial to open up, going exactly. to them yep. and saying, hey, there's a trial that you might match with. That, that's exciting. Right. Uh, I don't want to step all over the great things that you have to bring here. So, so what are some other exciting things that are happening in the world of data? Yeah. One really tangible area is geospatial data. And so the, this might be the best example of really making insights snap into focus. Of you, you actually see a picture, right? And so we've been putting a lot of resources towards mapping different layers of data, first and foremost, to be a tool, again, an empowering tool for people living with ALS and their families to understand where the closest clinic is to them. And on the surface, that might not be a big deal. Like we have lists online already of, you know, the clinics in Alabama, the clinics in Arizona. But adding this additional visual of an actual map, again, going back to being as inclusive and accessible as possible, but it makes the insight easier and quicker to grasp of oh, I know exactly which one is closest to me because there it is. I can, I can see it on my computer screen. 
or if you're the patient could be traveling. So, so maybe they're familiar with the clinic that's closest to their home, but they need to become familiar with those that are going to be the easiest to get to when they're, you know, on vacation or whatnot. So that's a, a, a really exciting tool that we just launched, the, the clinic locator. Geospatial data also helps us at the association understand where our gaps are, where we can do better. So maybe we map people living with ALS that we are serving at the moment. And we also map our clinics and other resources we have available in those areas. And we can see that there's a really big gap where a lot of patients are. So perhaps that leads us to investigate working and establishing another clinic or maybe hiring additional care services resources, particularly in that area. So it's it's not only an empowering tool for our constituents, but an analysis tool for us to, to take action in that way. And, and also with the recent hurricane, geospatial tools can also be really impactful for when we have to have a disaster response. Again, understanding the most affected areas and getting to the people living in those areas as quickly as possible. You were talking earlier about maybe underserved areas, geographically speaking. So much conversation in recent years, and I know, know, again, you and I talked about this relatively recently, uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, How can data help us maybe reduce some of the healthcare inequities that we know we've we've talked about on, on this show in the past? Yeah. First, you have to capture the data. You have to know who you're serving in order to maybe realize who you're not serving. And so it's really tricky to understand who you're not serving and and how you take steps to to get to them. But that's the first step, right, of just understanding the broad landscape. And that's also why it's really important that we break down our barriers and our data silos to have that full picture. So right now, we, we are working on a project to consolidate our data into one data ecosystem. And this is one of the the really great reasons why it's so important to do that so that we understand that we are looking at all of our data to identify those trends that you just spoke about of are there clusters of, you know, overlaying geographic and demographic layers of, well, we know that the population that we're serving in this area is underrepresenting the overall population in that area. So tools, again, of not just using a spreadsheet of data, but using systems and and overlays and data visualizations and all, all of those tools can help us identify the trends and help us move towards achieving the KPIs and the accountability that we want to achieve. Yeah, KPIs are so important to be able to kind of measure results and measure performance and make sure that we're gathering useful data, we're putting it to use in meaningful ways. Uh, Very exciting stuff, Pam. Before I let you get back to it, to those visualizations, to those overlays, and to the data analysis, uh, any closing thoughts for listeners as we think about the role that data plays in the fight against ALS? Yeah, I will say that data is important because data leads to knowledge, but... It's not just data. There are people behind that data. There are people creating the systems. There are people cleaning the data. There are people taking those insights and taking action with them. So so I, I think that that's also a really important piece to understand of, yes, data is extremely important and we couldn't do it without data. But additionally, we couldn't do it without 
the people and the relationships and the integration and the collaboration that is needed for understanding the, the comprehensive picture and, and getting the work done, prioritizing the work and making sure that we are all headed in the right direction towards our mission. Really fascinating stuff and uh, looking forward to some of those tools that you talked about coming online. I will dive deeper into those when they are ready and start talking about them with listeners. But uh, Pam, thanks so much for your time this week. Hopefully we can have you back on uh, down the road. Sure, absolutely. If you enjoyed this week's episode, share it with a friend. And while you're at it, please find time to rate and review Connecting ALS wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a great way for us to connect with more listeners. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, post-production by Alex Brower, production management by Gabriella Montekin, supervised by David Hoffman. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.